pastor's kid in a hurry to get out. Um, I was going to run on Wednesday morning, and she said, I want to go with you. And I said, I really don't have time to take you with me right now. She's like, I'll ride my bike or whatever. And I said, I just don't have time. I have to get to other things. And she said, it's not Sunday. You don't have to work today. <laughs> my own child. Why does she say these things? Anyways, um, we're going to be going to Mark 135 here in just a minute. Mark 135. Here in just a moment as I set up the passage, and we're looking at a few other passages today. I hope that you notice um, these hymns that we sing. You know, Rock of Ages is certainly one of my favorites of the old hymns written in, I want to say, the late 1700s. And we're going to read the history of it, but we chose not to. But notice these words about God saving us from his wrath and um, making us clean, making us whole. What a wonderful hymn, Rock of Ages. As many of the hymns are just wonderful. Today, you know, we're continuing and we're talking about spiritual disciplines today. How, you know, how can we get help from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups? And I want to make the case we can get help from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We can maintain momentum from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups by staying close to the Savior, by being active in our spiritual disciplines. You know, I don't know if you know, uh, there's a website called Babylon Bee. And they're really funny. I've shared some things on Facebook and other things from them. Babylon B writes Christian satire. So they had this article today. You know, um, they say, uh, well, this article came out a while back, but I want to read it to you because it relates to our topic today. It says, according to Lifeway press release, the Christian retail giant, Lifeway, has teamed up with Fitbit. You all know a Fitbit probably. You can get them on your wrist. I have a Garmin watch, and it can track my steps, and it tracks my um, runs, my distance, my speeds, how many steps I climb, things like that. So they, Lifeway, this is saying, has teamed up with Fitbit in order to release a new spiritual health tracker. A spiritual health tracker. It's a wrist-worn device that keeps track of all your spiritual activity. Isn't that amazing? A wrist-worn device that keeps track of all your spiritual activity. From raising hands in church and turning pages in your Bible to folding your hands to pray and serving soup at a homeless shelter, the spiritual Fitbit will let you know when you're earning precious spiritual points and when you're backsliding like a heathen. <laughs> Our patented technology will let you set attainable spiritual goals for yourself and then see how you measure up. Lifeway head of R&D Martin Fryer said Tuesday, chart your spiritual activity and even compete with your friends to see which one of you is the godliest. Now, as I continue this little article, you need to know that when you have a Fitbit or a, a Garmin watch or something, it lets you know when you meet certain goals. Mine will start vibrating when I'm walking up steps, things like that. So that's kind of what this is talking about. It says this, a complete list of spiritual activities that spiritual Fitbit can track was added to Lifeway's website as part of the product rollout. Here, here's a complete list of the spiritual activities it can track. Number of Bible pages turned. How many hands you shake in church each Sunday? How long you reflect on your sins before you take communion? Your heart rate during Sunday's sermon. We aim to make it high. How, how long your hands are folded in prayer each day? How vigorously you wave your hands around like a palm tree in a hurricane during the worship set? Altruistic activities. Number of tracts passed out each day. Number of words typed arguing with atheists on the internet. Lifeway even claims the advanced new Fitbit technology 
can deduct points for reading an inappropriate novel like the Fifty Shades of Grey series or for changing the television to an HBO Game of Thrones marathon. Does the good outweigh the bad in your everyday life? Find out by getting your spiritual Fitbit today. I only share that. It's obviously just satire, you know, being humorous. You know, we're not supposed to make, let our left hand knows what our right hand is doing, and we're supposed to do things under the radar that way. But, you know, daily devotions to spiritual activities are critical, critical to the Christian life. We need to stay close to the Father. And as we battle different hurts, habits, and hang-ups throughout the Christian life, whether it's anxiety or whether it's depression or whether it's a chemical dependency or a food problem or whether it's anger or lust, whatever it might be, we need to stay close to the Savior in our devotions. So we've been on this series, this sermon series, about life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups and their healing choices. Today we're going to talk about maintaining momentum. Maintaining momentum. How do we maintain our momentum in the Christian life? How do we maintain our momentum when we battle these hurts, habits, and hang-ups? And I want to make the case we maintain momentum by staying close to the Savior. Let me review the eight principles. We've been going through one principle a week. Let me walk through the principles. Number one, which we talked about about six weeks ago, realize I am not God. I must realize, we must realize we are not God. It says, I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. This is surrender. This is very biblical. We all need to surrender to the Lord. Number two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Do we realize that God exists? We matter to God, and he has the power to help us. I think many times we all admit, we all realize that God exists. We all may realize that we matter to him, but many times we ignore things that we're dealing with, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We think, ah, oh, they're not important to God. This is a little bit of anxiety. It's just a little bit of depression. It's just a little bit of lust. It's not, or pornography, it's not that bad. Or maybe it's a food addiction or whatever. That matters to God, and he wants to help us with whatever we're dealing with. Number three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Consciously purposefully choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Number four, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. We are all called to confession. That is a biblical spiritual discipline and a command from the Lord. Number five, we talked about this two weeks ago, voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Voluntarily, we are willingly submitting, we are willingly surrendering to any and all changes God wants to make in our life. All of them. This is transformation. This is Romans 12, 1 through 2. This is surrender. A lot of times we don't surrender everything to God. We hold back certain things. Number six, evaluate all my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others when possible except when to do so would harm them or others. We talked about that last week. It's letting go. It's that song from Frozen, let it go. It's, it's forgiveness. It's making amends. We're called to do that as Christ followers. Number seven, and this is what we'll get at today. This is daily devotions. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. That's what we're going to talk about today. Daily devotions, reflection, confession, 
And then number eight, which will be next week. Yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and my words. When we are forgiven, we need to share that with others. When we are saved, we need to share that with others. If Christ has helped us with a hurt, habit, or hang-up, we need to share that with others. Share the good news with others. Now, some of you maybe have been sitting through this sermon series, and you've been here week in and week out, and you're still struggling. Take this to the next level. Talk to a Christian counselor. Talk to me. Bring the body of Christ in. I hope we all have prayer partners. There are individual spiritual disciplines, which will be what we will mainly talk about today. And then there's communal, corporate spiritual disciplines. We all need small groups. We all need to be studying the Bible together as a community. That can be in small groups. It can be in Sunday school. It can be in both. We need that. If you think about the early church, the early church met daily. They met daily. Our commitment to the church generally is shallow compared to the early church. Generally, it's shallow compared to the the church in the persecuted countries right now. The early church met daily. We need corporate spiritual disciplines. We're studying the word together. We're praying with the body of Christ. We're, We're worshiping with the body of Christ more than Sunday morning, more than an hour on Sunday morning. That's critical. God wants to use his people, whether they're Christian counselors or certainly pastors and and groups such as Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery, I would certainly commend to any of you to help out with our hurts, habits, and hangups. So some of us, we might need to go to the next level. Nothing wrong with that. Everything's good with that. God wants to help us. So we're on step seven. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination. That'd be reflection, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life. And to gain the power to follow his will. By the way, I want to go back and talk about fellowship for just a minute. And this sermon is not about fellowship. It's about the spiritual disciplines. But fellowship is certainly a spiritual discipline. Many people will come to me and not necessarily Bethel because Bethel, friends, we know is the perfect church. There's no problems. But with um, church in general, many people will come to me and they'll criticize a certain church. They'll say, they're not friendly. I just couldn't get to know people. You know, whatever it may be. And then as I talk to them and I, and I look in this situation, I realize they really weren't committed to the church. They really weren't committed to the church. The church needs to be helping everybody and anybody we can. But the more connected you are, connected you are to the church, the more likely the gathering of the body of believers is just going to surround you in any time, whether it's a crisis or not. Okay? And... An hour a week is really not being connected to God's people. Okay, let me just say that point blank quite bluntly. We need to be connected. The Bible says, I've quoted this a lot, a cord at three strands is not easily broken. Rope is strongest because it's woven together. And which is funny, it's interesting, by the way, because there were Boy Scouts at my last church, as there are here, and they had a rope machine, and we did that as a demonstration. It takes like three or four people to actually use that rope machine to make rope. We're strongest when we're together as a body of Christ. We need to be closer together. So my theme today is we maintain momentum by maintaining our relationship with the Lord. We maintain momentum in the Christian life as we maintain our relationship with the Lord. We need to focus on our relationship with the Savior. Chuck Swindoll shares this illustration in uh, his book, which is titled Laugh Again, which is based on Philippians. Listen to this. I love this story. Swindoll writes, I love the story of the man who had fretted for 15 years over his work. This man fretted and worried and was anxious for 15 years over his work. 
He had built his business from nothing into a rather sizable operation. In fact, he had a large plant that covered several acres. With growth and success, however, came ever-increasing demands. Each new day brought a whole new list of responsibilities. Weary of the worry, the stress, and the fear, he finally decided to give it all over to God. He finally decided to give it all over to God. With a smile of quiet contentment, he prayed, Lord God, the business is yours. All the worry, the stress, and the fears I release to you and your sovereign will. From this day forward, Lord, you own the business. That night he went to bed earlier than he had since he started the business. He went to bed earlier than he had since he started the business. Finally, peace. In the middle of the night, the shrill ring of the phone awoke the man. The caller in a panicked voice yelled, Fire! The entire place is going up in smoke. The man calmly dressed, got into his car and drove to the plant. With his hands in his pockets, he stood there and watched, smiling slightly. One of his employees hurried to his side and said, What in the world are you smiling about? How can you be so calm? Everything's on fire. The man answered, Yesterday afternoon, I gave this business to God. I told him it was his. If he wants to burn it up, that's his business. I love it. It's the Lord's. If the Lord wants to burn it up, it's his business. Some of us hear that story, though, and we think that's insane. But no. That is one of the greatest pieces of sound theology you can embrace. Firm confidence in God means that it is in his hands. It is in his hands. Let's read Mark 135. If you've turned there, or please, uh, well, if you haven't turned there, please turn there. If you're reading it from the notes, I guess that would suffice. Mark 135 shows us Jesus' practice of the spiritual disciplines, of being close to the Savior. Mark 135, it says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. In the early morning, it's still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. This sermon is about maintaining momentum. I'm going to get into spiritual disciplines in a moment, but first let's talk about why we lose momentum. First let's talk about why do we lose momentum in our growth to begin with. Why do we lose momentum in our, in our growth, overcoming our hurts, habits, and hang-ups? Why do we lose momentum in our growth spiritually to begin with? You know, maybe you're doing very well battling your anxiety or your depression or your anger or your pornography or your chemical addiction or your eating disorder or something else. And then you backslide. Why do we backslide? Why do we struggle? Let's talk about that. The first point and its subpoints. Uh, mainly come from the book Life's Healing Choices, although I've added and made some subtle changes. But first, let me say many times what I might call backslide, others might call relapse. We may be growing spiritually and we may backslide. We may relapse. We may be conquering hurts, habits, or hang-ups and we may backslide. We may relapse. This pattern is as follows. This is the pattern. Complacency, confusion, compromise, catastrophe. Let me repeat it. Complacency, confusion, compromise, catastrophe. 
We get complacent in our spiritual disciplines. And we get complacent in taking our hurt, habit, or hang-up seriously. And this is the first step in our downfall. The first step in our downfall is always complacency. And that can be with anything. We're talking about hurts, habits, or hang-ups. You can put anything in your hurt, habit, or hang-up there. It could be laziness. It could be anything. The first step is complacency. We get confused. We think we are okay. And we think our hurt, habit, or hang-up was not that severe, right? We think it's not that bad. It's just a little anxiety. It's just a little depression. I only get angry here and there. I only yell and cuss here and there. I'm, I'm only looking at bad things on the internet once a week. We get complacent. We don't think it's that bad. There's only, you know, one hit of whatever drug it might be, whatever it may be. We compromise our values and we begin to backslide. This causes a relapse. Complacency, which leads to a relapse, or we could call it a backslide. We revert to our own willpower, don't we? We revert to our own willpower. We think we can live the Christian life on our own strength. Can we live the Christian life on our own strength? No. We can't. Romans 7 and Galatians chapter 3, verse 3 talk about that. The Bible speaks to our foolish tendencies of trying to make it on our own. The Bible speaks to that foolish tendency of trying to make it on our own. We get off to a good start. We get off to a good start in our Christian life. We get off, we get off to a good start in battling our hurt, habit, or hang-up. In choice one, we admitted that we are powerless to change on our own. In choice two, we agreed that only God has the power to help us change. In choice three, we made a commitment to turn our life and will over to Christ's care and control. In the fourth choice, we, ex- we examined ourselves openly and honestly and confessed our faults. In the fifth choice, we voluntarily submitted to the changes God wants to make in our lives. In the, in the sixth choice, we, we focused on repairing our relationships, offering forgiveness, and making amends. We've submitted, we've trusted, and we've committed. At least hopefully we are and have. We've made room for God to make major changes in our life. But now, but now, if we're not careful, we may start to think, it's me doing this. It's me, myself, and I doing this. I'm making the changes. It's my power. We revert to relying on our own willpower. But the problem is this. It didn't work in the first place. And it's not going to work now. We cannot conquer without living by the Holy Spirit. We have a few successes and suddenly we think we are all powerful and all knowing and can handle everything on our own. But we didn't and we can't. Other reasons we backslide or relapse, we ignore one of the choices. We talked about the different choices. The biggest struggle in the American church, I think, is being a community. The biggest struggle in the American church, I think, is meeting with prayer partners and small groups and studying the Word of God together. We try to recover without support. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 and Hebrews 10, 25 are about that. We become prideful. Proverbs 16, 18 and 1 Corinthians 10, 12 are about that. I repeat my theme right now because we're going to move into this more. We maintain momentum by maintaining our relationship with the Lord. Jesus wants to give us peace. But this only happens through our relationship with him. We need to to lean in on Jesus in our troubles, in our struggles. We generally won't grow spiritually without troubles. Chuck Swindoll writes this illustration and laugh again. I heard it a few weeks ago. He says, I came across a story in one of Tim Hansel's books that points out this in an unforgettable way. 
It's a true, it's a true account of an 82-year-old man who had served as a pastor for over 50 of those years. In his latter years, he struggled with skin cancer. It was so bad that he had already had 15 skin operations. This 82-year-old man who had pastored for, for over 50 of those years had had 15 operations for skin cancer. Tim writes this. Tim says, Besides suffering from the pain, this 82-year-old man was so embarrassed about how the cancer had scarred his appearance that he wouldn't go out. He wouldn't go out. Then one day he was given, you got to keep dancing, in which I tell of my long struggle with the chronic intense pain from a near-fatal climbing accident. In that book, I told of the day when I realized that the pain would be with me forever. At that moment, I made a pivotal decision. I knew that it was up to me to choose how I responded to it. So I chose joy. Tim, who wrote this book, said, I chose joy. After reading a while, the elderly pastor said... He put the book down, thinking, he's crazy. I can't choose joy. So he gave up on the idea. Then later he read John 15, 11. John 15, 11, that joy is a gift. Joy is a gift. Jesus says, I want to give you my joy so that your joy may be complete. Jesus says, I want to give you my joy so that your joy may be complete. A gift, this elderly pastor thought. He didn't know what to do, so he got down on his knees then he didn't know what to say, so he said, Well then, Lord, give it to me. Well then, Lord, give it to me. And suddenly, as he described it, this incredible hunk of joy came from heaven and landed on him. I was overwhelmed, he wrote. It was like the joy talked about by, in Peter, a joy unspeakable and full of glory in 1 Peter 1.8. I didn't know what to say, so I said, Turn it on, Lord, turn it on. And before he knew it, he was dancing around the house. He felt so joyful that he actually felt born again, again. And this astonishing change happened at the age of 82, 82 years old. He, he didn't know what to do. He just had to get out. So he went out and he went to a fast food restaurant. A lady saw how happy he was and asked, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm wonderful. Is it your birthday? She asked. No, honey, it's, it's better than that. Is it your anniversary? Better than that. Well, what is it? She asked excitedly. It's the joy of Jesus. It's the joy of Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? And she said, no, I have to work on Sundays. Which is the value of Saturday night services, by the way. <laughs> Spiritual disciplines are the way to maintain momentum. John Baker writes, developing a new habit is not easy. Developing a new habit is not easy. New healthy habits are about making daily choices that put us in a new place where God can begin his transformation, transformation work in us. Someone has accurately said that the most difficult thing about the Christian life is that it's so daily. It's so daily. Mark 14, 38, Jesus says, Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer and meditation are reverse worry. I love that. Prayer and meditation are reverse worry. If you know how to worry, then you know how to pray and meditate on the scriptures. How many of us know how to worry? I think we could all raise our hands. We don't have to, but we all know how to worry. Then we know how to pray and meditate on the scriptures. It's part of the spiritual disciplines. Quiet time is the most important. 
Mark 1.35, we read that earlier. It says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. You know, Jesus could have had many other more important things, or what we may think of as more important things to do, but pray. In that same chapter, that same chapter, Mark chapter 1, Jesus was preaching, he was casting out demons, and he was healing people. Many people could have said that Jesus should be doing more preaching, not retreating to a quiet place to pray. Many people could have said Jesus should be casting out more demons, not retreating to a quiet place to pray. Many people could have said Jesus should be healing people, not retreating to a quiet place to pray. Listen, preaching, casting out demons, healing people are all very important things, but not the most important thing for Jesus to do and for us to do. The most important thing is prayer. It was most important to have a quiet time with God the Father. We maintain our momentum in the Christian life by maintaining a relationship with God. We need that quiet time with God the Father. Now, why, though? Why do we need that quiet time with God the Father? Why do we need those daily devotions? Why do we need that time to reflect and to pray? Well, first and foremost, Jesus did it. And if Jesus needed to retreat to a quiet place to pray, you bet we do. We discover God's will and we receive power to deal with life's trials through spending time with God. Let's look at a few other passages. Romans 12, 1 through 2, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Let me read it again. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is a spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? By spending time retreating to a quiet place with God. We let the Holy Spirit renew our mind through spending time with Him. This happens through our quiet time. Ephesians 3.16 says that He, which is God, would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. How How can we be strengthened with power through the Spirit? This happens through spending time with Him in prayer and scripture meditation. In John 6, 63, Jesus said this. Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. In our quiet time, in our time with the Lord, we receive help from the Spirit. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How do we hear God's voice? By spending time with him in prayer and scripture reading. If you do not have a daily appointment with God, I encourage you to do that starting today. We need that quiet time with the Lord, that reflection. Don't ever, ever, ever let this replace prayer without ceasing. We need to pray at all times. We need to do all things with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, presenting our request to God. But we need quiet time with God. If you don't have that, start short. Maybe you've struggled because you've thought, I want to pray for an hour tomorrow. Start short. 
Start with five minutes. Try to have five minutes of prayer time and try to have five minutes of scripture reading time. As I always say, a chapter a day keeps the pastor away. Just try to read a chapter of the Bible a day. Start with the Gospel of John and just try to read a chapter a day. Pray at the beginning and pray at the end. Set an appointment with God. We are creatures of habit. Pick it, morning, afternoon, evening. Pick a time that works for you daily. It might be 5 a.m., it might be 5 p.m., it might be 10 p.m., it might be all three. It might be a lunch break. Pick a daily time that you can study the scriptures and spend time with God. Talk to God as your best friend. Reflect on how you're doing. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and Psalm 66, 18 talk about reflecting on your spiritual life. Repent of sins. Ask God to show you what you need to repent of. Lastly, I come back to community. Meet with your prayer partner. Meet with an accountability partner regularly. I referenced being more connected to the church earlier. I don't want to be ignorant. I know that for some of you, you're dealing with uh, complications that make it very difficult to get out to church or even get out at all weekly or even monthly. I understand that, especially during winter and summer, certain months you can't drive anymore, you're dealing with things. I certainly don't want to lay a guilt trip on you, but hopefully we can be connected to the church in other ways, through the phone and through other ways that we can pray together and be close with one another. Meet with prayer partners regularly. We need community. To explain scripture meditation and how scripture meditation goes beyond hearing and reading and studying and even memorizing as a means of taking in God's word, author Donald Whitney provides the analogy of a cup of tea. I have a big little mug right here and I have a tea bag right here, a tea bag right here. Now think of this analogy right now. In this analogy, your mind is the cup of hot water. Your mind is the cup of hot water. And a tea bag represents your intake of Scripture. The tea bag represents the, intake, uh, represents the intake of Scripture. So hearing God's Word is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Just one dip, though, that doesn't really make this hot water into tea, does it? It doesn't make this tea. I mean, it's just a quick little dip. It doesn't do, in, do much good, okay? Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as would occur with a more thorough soaking of the bag. And so reading and studying and memorizing God's Word are like additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. You know, so you're reading the Bible. You're studying the Bible. You're memorizing the Bible. These are plunges of the tea bag into the cup. The more frequently the tea bag enters the water, the more permeating its effect. Meditation, however, meditation is like immersing the bag completely into the cup and letting it steep until all the rich flavors of the tea has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly tinctured, reddish brown. Meditation on Scripture is letting the Bible brew into the brain. You hear that? Meditation on the scripture is letting the Bible brew into the brain. When we meditate on scripture, it's color. It colors our thinking about God, about God's ways in his world, and about ourselves. We need to have times of meditation with the scriptures. We need to have daily devotions. We maintain our momentum in the Christian life by maintaining our relationship with the Lord. Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, anyone can come and follow me. But we got to deny ourselves, take up our cross every day and follow. Have you committed your life to Christ? The, the Bible uses four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. They're confess, 
believe, trust, commit. Confess, believe, trust, commit. We are to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. We must believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. That he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. We must trust in him and follow him. Be committed to him. If you haven't done that, the Bible teaches that today is a day of salvation. We are never, ever promised tomorrow. Commit to Christ today. The commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior means that we firmly make the decision to be with Jesus in order to become like Jesus and to learn and do all that he says and then arrange your affairs around him. If you have not done that, tell God today. Tell him in a prayer today that today you are making Jesus your Lord and Savior. Tell him today. Say a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I confess that I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm committing my life to you. Please help me to live for you. Just tell Jesus a simple prayer. We're not saved by the prayer. We're saved by what's in our heart. But I encourage you, commit your life to Christ today. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, I pray that we all, all of us, would be like you in this manner. May we all be like you in that at certain points of the day, we retreat to a quiet place and we pray. Do we recognize that nothing is more important than our relationship with you? Healing, casting out demons, doing miracles, things like that. Preaching. They're not as important as our time with you, Lord. Lord God, I pray that you would help us all. Walking by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit. Meditating on the Scriptures. Spending time in Scripture study and prayer daily. Help us all following you. Lord God, we can't do this on our own. We need to walk by the Spirit. Lord God, certainly if there's anyone here today who wants to commit your life to you, has not committed their life to you, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict them. Convict them to confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe in you as the only Savior. Trust in you and commit to you. Lord, help us all, making you Lord of our life, arranging our affairs around you as we walk the Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, even if you're a non-believer, I would just love to talk to you. Let me know how I can help you. Please stand for the closing hymn.